Hello everyone, welcome to the Atlin Humans of Data series where we're joined by data leaders around the world as they openly share their challenges, hacks, tips and tricks to help us all build better data teams and a better world with data. In today's episode, we are joined by Amod Mittal, who is currently the Director of Product Management and Data Science at Getaround, and a peer-to-peer car sharing platform serving 300 cities around the world. Thank you for joining us today, Amod. Um, Thanks for having me, Bukal. So to get us started, Amod, and to help the listeners, uh, do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about your journey with data science uh, and what your current role looks like? Sure. Uh, so I actually have spent uh, most of my time uh, in my career in sort of analytical data science functions and then sort of eventually moved into product management. Mm-hmm. And then even within product management sort of stayed very close to highly analytical uh, data science type mm-hmm. functions. And uh, it's actually fairly like short and simple. Like I started my career with Sable, which is a company that provides software to airlines. Uh, and I started working out of the India offices in Bangkok. And then there, I think I spent a couple of years working on some very fascinating problems uh, relating to airline flight scheduling. How do you figure out where to fly? How do you look at sort of global uh, passenger traffic patterns to figure out where demand exists, where people want to go from and to, and what are the various preferences that they, uh, travel choice preferences that they exhibit. And then I moved into looking at some problems relating to pricing and revenue management, uh, which is, uh, again, really fascinating uh, because uh, there is a lot of data uh, and it's highly commercially critical for the airlines. Uh, uh, Their costs are almost sort of fixed and a lot of their revenue performance depends on setting the right price to the right customer. One of the more fascinating projects was uh, applying this to the railway domain. So we had a small project where we applied this to a fairly large railway provider. That was pretty fascinating. And then I sort of moved into product management. And then over the last couple of years, I've sort of moved to a much smaller company called Getaround, as you introduced, uh, which focuses on, um, it's like a marketplace if you have a car. Uh, that you're not using, you can list it on the car platform and uh, people who need the car can sort of uh, uh, rent the car through the platform seamlessly and very easily. Again, so this is this is like a classic marketplace where you have sort of two sides and I basically lead the data science team and the product management team relating to marketplace dynamics, which is all about matching the right supply to the right demand. Uh, and pricing plays a huge role in that. So that's sort of the area of focus over the last couple of years. Very cool. Um, and I think you're one of those unique leaders who actually stays, between, I mean, you're sort of at that intersection between product as well as data science. Tell us a little bit about what your team composition is like. Like, what is the kind of profile of the folks that work on your team? If you look at the, the data science organization, um, there's a, it's a small team being a startup, we're not like uh, many, many people. We have like six people, I think. Uh, and uh, it's a mix of uh, some people who are uh, relatively junior. And I say relatively junior, but they still sort of have master's degrees in machine learning or data science. And they've had a couple of years of experience. Um, and uh, they come from a bunch of different backgrounds. So. Uh, there's one person who's worked with insurance. There's another person who's worked with uh, sort of travel and transportation before. 
and then we have uh, a bunch of senior people who've either done sort of advanced degrees in machine learning and data science and have like four, five, six years of experience. Uh, or even uh, some interesting intersections, and this isn't a trend that, that I've seen, uh, where people who've done uh, PhDs in highly analytical uh, areas like biosciences, like physics and chemistry and biology, mm -hmm. Uh, they have transitioned into data science because they see that there's a uh, there's a need there and that's something that interests them. Um, so we have a bunch of folks uh, who sort of fit that profile. So it's an it's an interesting mix of uh, domain knowledge and seniority in the team. So it's pretty pretty fascinating to work with. There are a couple of people who tend to specialize in certain things that interest them. But uh, largely, we try to keep things at the generalist level. Mm -hmm. Wherein uh, being a small startup at this scale, uh, everyone should generally have the ability to look at the entire pipeline of how the data is flowing in uh, and flowing out back into the product in case it's an online uh, data science problem that we're talking about. Um, and they should be able to independently uh, look at it, analyze it, find issues with it, uh, and, and solve it. Now, uh, and, and that's the level of expectation that at least I have for the team. Uh, they might not be the person who would have built it originally. We might want to sort of focus on someone who's had experience building it up from scratch, but incremental enhancements or if something breaks, breaks and if you have to diagnose an issue, uh, that's the level of general expertise that, uh, that we have across the board for everyone. Clearly, we live in unprecedented times. What has that implication of COVID been uh, to your business, but more importantly, to the kind of work that the data team is prioritizing today? So we are in uh, urban transportation, uh, which has definitely been impacted. If you think about uh, travel and airlines, they have been significantly impacted. But there are other companies in, in logistics which, which might have seen a bump in demand. So it, it really depends on uh, what type of company that you are. What we've focused on is uh, we, we've seen an impact. We've seen an impact uh, on the demand side, uh, less so on the supply side of things. Uh, but even the ability to very quickly articulate that is important. And one of the things that we did was we've been focusing on figuring out what's going on in the marketplace by looking mm -hmm. at data. Uh, and that is important because I think it's less about the uh, good news or the bad news. It's more about the uncertainty. What, what drives bad decision-making and what drives a lot of anxiety is uncertainty. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen with my, are we going to survive? Is it like, when does this end? What's going on, right? So if, if the data team can help sort of try and build some sort of confidence and say, here's the early indicators that we're seeing, here's what's happening in your business, here's what's happening in the demand, and, and feed that into the organization that really reduces the amount of uncertainty, uncertainty that people are dealing with. And then people can make decisions. And, and yeah, if the decisions are bad, the decisions are bad. They can, they can sort of deal with that. Um, so that's what we've been focusing on the COVID side, which is uh, uh, it, it being a marketplace, us having a lot of data and us trying to understand what's really going on on yep. the two sides of the marketplace uh, is something that we've been focused on. How are you trying to leverage data today to be able to 
model, I guess, for the uncertainty, right? Like, are there any interesting data sets that you're using today? Like, how are you thinking about solving for this? Yeah, so, so we have a bunch of fairly robust data pipelines built in, so we can actually see the patterns of what people are searching for, what people are booking for, what are they using the car for, um, and, and anonymized and all of that. But um, the, the ability to sort of look at that data and, and try and understand that is, uh, we, we had the data. Uh, what, we, what we ended up prioritizing is focusing on understanding what's going on. Because in business as usual, there is some value in understanding this, but not a whole lot of value. As, as we go through this transition through early March, mid-March into April, uh, it became really clear that there is a lot of wealth in this data that we can sort of figure out and understand. Um, we also sort of look at like, there's a lot of companies that are doing really good work in sort of exposing this, like Google has done a whole bunch of work to look at their mobility data and say that here's what's happening and splitting it up by, uh, by uh, cities even. And um, our business being focused mostly on urban areas, that having that sort of parallel information of here's what's the generic patterns that uh, mobility patterns that are there in the cities, overlaying that is sort of pretty useful. So we've been, we've looked at the Google data sets, those are pretty useful. We've looked at a bunch of our internal data sets, we've prioritized using them more than we were before. Uh, and I think that's mostly what we've sort of looked at. What you've tried to do is basically just try and give or create some kind of certainty for the business, right? So that the different business leaders actually have some amount of data to be able to predict Worst case scenario, mid case scenario, best case scenario. Is that typically the kinds of stuff that the team's been working on? Right, exactly. The 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 actual scenario modeling is not necessarily done by us, but the ability to say that here's here's some leading indicators of what we are seeing and here's what we expect to happen given this for the next week, uh, feeding that in is is been pretty useful. As data leaders around the world think about this today. What would your advice be for data leaders? How can data teams really add the most value to business? Uh, if you can help reduce the uncertainty, especially since this has never happened before, like Spanish flu 1920s, right? So this is now, no one has seen this before. No one has a prior knowledge of what to expect. The other sort of angle uh, to maybe look at this that, that I've been thinking about is uh, this might be an opportunity. Uh, if, if the scale of the business has undergone a transition and the scale of the business is much smaller, uh, this might be an opportunity to try and do some experiments that were uh, maybe not possible to do uh, at scale. Uh, and again, it really depends on the kind of experiments that you want to do. Maybe you want to change the product experience a little bit and you want to do it and you don't really have the mechanism to do a, like a more structured test. Uh, there is less revenue at risk. So maybe you can try and do some of those things here. Again, you got to be careful because the, the context of how people use products might be very different. Don't be afraid to drop all learnings from previous data. Depends on how different your business is, but if, you're different, if your business has gone through a shock, uh, you might want to start your model building from scratch in this context. And is that a way your team is thinking about prioritizing time between the short term and the long term? Yeah, so I think it's mostly been like short term right now. 
for us, mostly because we don't have a lot of slack to some existing projects. But longer term planning is something that we're now starting to think about how to sort of incorporate what we've learned about the business and how to sort of uh, fashion that into product changes and recommendations in the long term. It, it, the onset was so sudden that I think it's almost like you, you fell into it and you're like, okay, wow, <laughs> let's figure out what we can do. Uh, there's also the aspect of like the whole work environment change all of a sudden. What has that move been like for you? What has the move to remote been like for you? Um, for me personally, it's been okay. Um, I think, uh, there's definitely a little bit of an adjustment period, but we, and most sort of startups in general have fairly flexible work from home schedule. So most people had figured out one day of the week where they used to work from home. So they had like a pattern. Um, for folks who are not used to working from home, I expect the change would be more sharp. But I would suspect in this day and age, data being a purely online thing, uh, most people have a baseline understanding of what work from home looks like. The extended period, uh, like the first week is like, okay, yeah, this is, we're going to do the same thing that we do once every Thursday, say for example. And then once you're two weeks in, like, wait, this is not working. I need to really rethink this and maybe uh, optimize my uh, work from home pattern a little bit more. Like, let's not stand in the same standing desk spot every day of the week. Let's figure out a couple of different thoughts so I can move around. Uh, so those kind of sort of minor tactical hacks had to be figured out. But by and large, I think uh, the change has been pretty okay. Got it. And what have been the biggest challenges that you've faced as the team has transitioned to this remote work scenario? The main challenge has been communication, as is fairly obvious. Uh, a bunch of communication happens through stuff like Slack, which is largely the same. Uh, but a lot of uh, your face-to-face uh, -face communication is gone away. What's happened is your bandwidth of communication has has shrunk. Right now, suddenly, like you could you could see each other, you could read the body language, like you can you're, you're talking to someone. There's a very rich amount of communication that's going on, and now you're restricted to a two-dimensional video chat, which is which is great. But it's still not uh, not anywhere close to sort of an in-person meeting. Uh, but even that, for a one-on-one -on -one conversation, is actually fine. Where this really becomes a challenge is if you have to if you have to have a multi-party conversation. If you get if you need to get three people in a room, and any any anything above three, you need to get them in a room, and the the experience of having three people in a room trying to figure something out or trying to discuss something versus three people trying to do that over a video conference is really different so that that's something that that we've done and we're, we're trying to incorporate the change to that in how we work uh, so for example wherein uh, we would have projects that were owned by three or more people. We sort of biased very, very slowly. So because it's very difficult to change these things midway, but very, very slowly, we've sort of naturally biased towards smaller teams. We've naturally biased towards one person you know, owning something and driving it end to end without having, like, instead of having two people co-own it. Um, and that's been sort of almost a natural thing because like, you know what? Yeah, it's too much of a, 
too much of a coordination headache for us to do this like three ways. So why don't you just run with it and you sync up with that possibility. So, so that, that's sort of like the minor sort of thing that I've realized is happening. And it's been, it's not intentional. It's sort of almost been like a emergence thing that we've noticed. We were fairly online to begin with. And, and this is, I think, one of the places where startups end up excelling at. They usually are fairly uh, online friendly or remote work friendly, or at least we were. Uh, we've we've had a we have a fairly robust sort of a, a robust and an active community and slack channels where people could just hang out yeah. uh what the one thing that we've done that's actually pretty common is we've, we've set aside time for the team to sort of just hang out uh like sort of a chat hour or a sort of a it's not like a happy hour like it's like a it's a it's a replacement for a walk up random question that you might have on a bunch of issues. So you basically, basically set aside 30 minutes at the beginning of the day and 30 minutes at the end of the day. Uh, it's optional. Not everyone has to join, but in case someone has a quick question that they might have for the colleague or for me, for example, or I might have for them. So we can just like, Hey, I'm in this room. Can you join? Uh, most of the time people don't join, but it's good to have that buffer set aside so that you're not, uh, for, for a small five minute question, you don't need to go through the headache of setting up a meeting, finding a time that works for you and for them. What are the two or three actionable tips that you would give other data leaders for whom this entire thing is new um, as they start managing their team remotely? It becomes really important when you're doing remote management is you have to have trust. You have to figure out a way to uh, trust the people to make independent decisions. It's a bad management practice in general to do micromanagement, but it's impossible to do when you're doing remote. So if you as a data leader or you as a data function has not figured out independent ownership of projects, then you're going to have a really tough time uh, making this transition. So even if like, and there could be various reasons why you have not been able to do it. Uh, which is which is which is fine. Uh, there's an ideal world and there's a real world, but it's almost incumbent that you cannot do this unless you figure out a way to independently delegate uh, decision making and project uh, delivery. Uh, the other thing is again frequent communication. One-on-one uh, -on -one communication is the is the thing that's hardest to do because a lot of times one-on-one uh, -on -one communication, especially regarding professional development, regarding sort of not not sort of related to a project, but in general, is, is something that relies heavily on sort of uh, body language and an in-person meeting. And it can be really awkward. It can be really, really awkward to get on a call and have nothing to talk about. So uh, you, you probably should want to get into those discussions with some thought as to what do you want to talk about. Uh, and you should be okay with long pauses as people think. Uh, it's, it's really, really uncomfortable to sit in a meeting with a long pause and no one's talking about, but both people are actually thinking, okay, what did I want to ask? Is there anything I want to ask? Given sort of the fact that it's been pretty smooth for you guys as you've made this transition to remote, would you consider going fully remote at the end of all of this? If, if again, it, it depends on how this goes through. It's, let me say this. I don't know. This is an experiment that's ongoing. Uh, let's see how the next couple of months, if we stay in this situation for the next couple of months, let's see if we are able to adapt. And uh, if so, then yeah, sure. Uh, if this is successful, then I see no reason why not.
And I think that brings me to the last question that I have of today. We are all clearly consuming more content than ever before. What are your top three book, video, podcast recommendations for humans of data around the world? Uh, so there are like a couple of things that I definitely think are are very interesting, at least to me. So there's a there's a YouTube channel called Three Blue One Brown. So it's three the the number three, yeah. the word blue B L U E, the number one, the word brown B R O W N. That's really really good. They they do a bunch of really interesting data modeling exercises. Sometimes they are just doing stats one on one. Sometimes they are modeling, for example, the pandemic response through the SIR model and seeing how under various situations uh, the disease spreads. Uh, and they have a very good way of visually demonstrating this. Uh, the understanding statistics and probability, uh, mm-hmm. three blue one brown is really good. And yeah, then there are, I think, maybe two blogs that I'd recommend. So there is uh, Nathan Yao's uh, Flowing Data. Uh, which is uh, just really good to understand new ways of visualizing and he like uh, gives great tips on how to use R and, and various things to plot stuff. And then if people are interested in economics, which which I tend to be, Marginal Revolution has a really, really good sort of, the list of things that he collates and posts about is really interesting. Uh, and I think those are my top three things that I recommend from a data perspective. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Amoth, for sharing all your experiences with us. Super helpful. Uh, and thanks for joining us today. Uh, for all our attendees, thank you for tuning in. Um, and uh, join us next week for our next episode and another freewheeling conversation and hopefully a lot of actionable insights. Till then, stay home and stay safe. <laughs>